Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa Buddhang dhammang sankhang namasami So this is my first talk after my retreat. I always feel a bit sad that the retreat is over, but I console myself with thinking it's only another 50 weeks and I have another retreat. It will soon come. (laughs) But being in a cave for most of the last fortnight, having a nice peaceful time, just towards the end, just... Uh, thought come up, what do I talk about? And the idea came out the last days, talk about the beautiful idea of freedom. Because it seems a little bit of a contradiction that you're on a retreat where you're just uh, staying just either in my cave, on the walking path, or in the office and not going anywhere else. Just you're confined, it's really much like solitary confinement and spending most of the time just in the cave with no windows, just sitting down there, hour after hour after hour. And for many people, people, that's like being in prison. But of course, that you never feel like it's a prison at all, but it's totally free. And I was just enjoying just how free it is, you know, the free of all the burdens of having to do stuff. And sometimes when you come out of that retreat and you... You have to do you have to do things like checking emails and stuff. You think, oh God, why do I have to do this? And when you see other monks going over there and enjoying going over there and checking emails, you think you're crazy. <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> what are you doing that for? Isn't it most wonderful just to leave all of that aside and try and be as simple, uncontactable, uh, unentangled as you possibly can, especially when you first start out in monastic life. The entanglements will come at you later on, but when you have the opportunity to be free of all of that, and don't think that people will miss you. (laughs) They don't. (laughs) For them, they're free of you, which is very nice. And if it's family, they get used to, you know, you sort of being a bit distant, because they expect that from a monk. They expect a monk to be someone who is just in a lot of solitude and just by themselves a lot of the time. So, you know, use that. And the only reason which I really enjoy that is because you realize just the burden of all of that. You've got something else to compare that to. And there's the freedom of just, you can sit down in your hut, you've got nothing to do. You've got no, no schedule at all. Even just, you know, the food. Oh yeah, well, you know, if you miss the lunch, you always have the breakfast the next day. If you miss the breakfast, you always have the lunch, you always have a cup of tea and some chocolate if you really sort of miss everything. So it's just so wonderful not to have to be imprisoned by time. You can go to bed whenever you like, get up whenever you like, and have no interviews, no people you have to go and meet, no people who are asking you to come to bless this, don't have to sprinkle any holy water, don't have to tell any jokes. It's just a wonderful little time when you are free of all the things which people ask of you and expect of you. 
And I was just wondering that just, you know, even in this monastery, and I think Dhammasara, people don't expect that much of you. And they don't ask too much of you. If you really look at it, you assume they do. But if you look quite closely, the only thing they really want you know, from the monks and the nuns is for you to be peaceful people who enjoy solitude, who are just by themselves. That inspires them more than anything else, more than writing any books, more than giving any talks, more than doing any buildings. So when you realize just what is really important, you just enjoy the freedom so much of having to do such things, and you never feel guilty about it. You never feel that you, know, you are not doing your jobs and responsibilities. And even those of you who just come for a week or two weeks to this monastery or to Dhammasara, please never feel guilty. Oh, I should be doing this and helping other people and doing all this service. The greatest service you can ever do is just to be alone. To be peaceful. Not only are you generating just wonderful mind states, which other people will enjoy and benefit from later on, you're also teaching by example. Now when we first started this monastery, we never had anything like retreats at all. Where you just go back to your huts and just be by yourself. That was not part of the Wat Papong tradition. Now I introduced that as soon as we started seeing in the sutras that even the Lord Buddha would sometimes go for two weeks or a month and he would tell the monks, look, only the monk who brings me the food they're the only one I can see. No one else should come and see me. And I said, why do you do that for? Aren't you enlightened yet? You know, you still got something to attain? He said, no, because I'm doing this as an example for the monks and the nuns who come after me. So by example, I'm teaching the importance of solitude, the importance of being on retreat. And I always take that teaching very, very seriously. It went deeply into me. The Buddha was actually teaching us that being a solitary, at least going on retreats every now and again, that was part of his teaching. He meant us to do that, otherwise he would never have gone on the retreat himself. And understanding that, I understand, especially in my position, in Hasapanya's position, in anyone who's got a lot of uh, seniority, it's important that we too, every now and again, just disappear. And if we do that, each one of you in your little roles in life, it's important you do that as well. Because what happens when you are in that solitude, it does give you the perspective, of, you know, if you like, the meaning of life. I mean, now these similes, they keep coming up and they stay with you for a month or two, and then you forget them for years. That old simile, which I've been telling a few people uh, when I was... Uh, I went on a retreat of you know, climbing up that pyramid in the jungle and when you're above everything, above the tree line in the jungle, you can actually get a perspective, an objective view of things. And it's only really when you sort of go into solitude, you're by yourself and all the books, all the talks, all the business, all the trowels and hammers are put aside, you're just by yourself for a while. Only then, because you've left that world of activity, do you get perspective? And the simile of the, the jungle and the pyramid is a very beautiful one because 
and never really focus on the point. The jungles are always very humid, and they're close, and it's not good air. There's lots of mosquitoes, and, and jungles are quite uncomfortable. But as soon as you go up on top of that pyramid, the air is cool, and you get wind coming through, and it's clear. A lot of the humidity has disappeared when you get up to the top of that pyramid. And that's just like what it feels like when you you go on some solitude, some renunciation, some just uh, we waker, just the uh, being free from these things for a little while. Just the air, you know, in your head is just so free, and it's not so humid, it's not so close, not so oppressive, because life can be very oppressive, you know, with all the things you have to do. And then when you're free of that, oh, that you can breathe again, you can rest, you can relax, you're not rushing around to meet appointments which you promised you would do. So it's a freedom which you feel. But it's even more than that, because once you start to appreciate the freedom of just having nothing to do, you find sometimes you start thinking a lot. You make things to do. And I wonder so why that is when you try to create monasteries, retreat centers where there's nothing to do. Why it is that people just make jobs to do. They go talking to each other. They look for things to distract themselves. And of course it is because you don't value the freedom and the bliss of that freedom of just to be by yourself. And it's also you don't know how to enjoy that. Because again, it gets substituted when you don't have anything to do, then we start thinking of things to do. And one of the, the blisses of my retreat was just recognizing the freedom from thinking. It's how beautiful it was that to you know, be sit there and not have a thought go through your mind for a long time. Because the thoughts are a jungle. That's why sometimes the Buddha used those similes, the thicket of views. I like the jungle of thoughts. You know, it's just so hard to sort of push yourself through that entanglement, you know, of vines and bushes, and it's just dense, you know, your thoughts. But if that's all we know, then of course, just like the simile of the prisoner about to be released from jail, is afraid, especially if you've been in jail for a long time. You know, people say 20, 30, 40 years in jail, you'd rather not leave. You've been institutionalized. That's your home. That's what you're used to. That's what you are attached to. Because these attachments are sometimes not seen very clearly. Oh, I can leave whenever I want. Can you? You only know if the door of the cell is open and say, come out, and you don't want to go. That shows attachments. So, they're afraid of freedom. And sometimes that's what it's like. You know, we're so used to thinking, we're so used to doing things, we're so used to being active. The whole idea of having nothing to do is very scary. But you just need a few little moments outside of jail. Just a few little minutes, even better, hours, where you can sit down and not have any thinking going on. Peaceful not having anything you want, not having anything you have to do, not having any problem you have to sort out, then you feel freedom. It's very important that sometimes people think that Buddhism 
is a philosophy which you can work out by analyzing it and thinking about it. And sometimes you waste a lot of time doing that, you know, thinking about the meaning of life, the meaning of Buddhism, the, the really the heart of dependent origination. What does it really mean? What are these Four Noble Truths? Anicca, come on, just think about it. The wisdom never comes from such thinking. Wisdom comes when you're free of thinking. It comes from the stillness of the mind. But the nicest thing about it, it does give you a sense of freedom. This, you know, what the Buddha kept on saying, it's called a taste of freedom. Vimuti rasa. There wasn't a word which was invented by Ajahn Chah. It was a word which is often seen in the sutras and which you know, people you know, took up the title for Ajahn Chah's first book in English, A Taste of Freedom. Because that's what it's like, having nothing to do, nowhere to go, no one pressing upon you, no one asking you to be anything. You don't have to figure out any sort of philosophy. You don't have to become enlightened. <laughs> oh, what bliss to know you don't have to be enlightened. <laughs> because sometimes, and I've known this, you know, for trying to do things when you go on retreat, trying to get something, having goals. I used to do that, you know, when I used to go on retreats a long time ago. Range retreat, now this is what I'm going to achieve. And you set all these goals, I'm going to go for it this time. Still not hear monks say such things, come on, you're going to crack it this time. Crack what? You just crack your head, that's what you do, you don't crack anything else. And what happens is you're missing the whole point. The whole point of the Buddha's teachings is you don't, get enlightened through your effort. You don't sort of get into jhanas by striving. These are things which happen through stillness, through being free. Free of all this craving, striving, wanting, struggling. It's just all the same if you're always trying to please someone, live up to somebody's expectations. Just like when you're very young, you're told what a girl should be, what a boy should be. And people give you all of these, these things you have to achieve and live up to. Real men don't act like that. Girls shouldn't be just you know, digging in the earth and laying concrete. That's not what a girl does. This is what a monk should be. This is what a nun should be. And this... I've had that for 40 years, but I don't, <laughs> I don't pay too much attention to it anymore. What a monk should be. Some people say that I'm old enough now as a monk, and you know, I've got enough of a reputation, I can do pretty much what I want now. <laughs> you know, of course, within the Vinaya, that is, but I can tell silly jokes, I can use a shit word, I can do all sorts of stuff, which you guys couldn't do. Especially when I go to Malaysia and Singapore and they say, other monks wouldn't get away with what you say, Ajahn <laughs> That's a lovely freedom, isn't it? <laughs> Do you understand what that freedom means? You do that not because you're trying to impress anybody, but the total opposite. Because you don't really care what other people think of you. You're not going to use that as a, another imprisonment. Another thing which is going to make you to strive, tense up, struggle to try and please people. 
And once you can start to do that, at least you can also start to try that with yourself. Please don't try and please yourself. Always trying to live up to something. It's one of the teachings which I was given to lay people a long time ago. It's really fascinating for me. Some of these teachings I invent or I see, and I'm, there's a lot of these things are actually original Ajahn Brahms. I don't get them from anywhere else, not even from the suttas. And when I started talking about lowering your expectations, you know, years ago, instead of raising them, now, you know, every now and again, someone like Daniel sends me this latest psychology fad about lowering your expectations. It's really fascinating to see that some of the things which, you know, you originate, sometimes go round and round and round and round, and you see them coming back again, because they are truthful, they work. And the idea of lowering expectations. When you have expectations, you never have freedom. You know, you're always in this prison of your expectations. When you're lowering your expectations... The prison walls get further away. You've got more space to breathe. But imagine, just imagine having no expectations at all. No expectations you'll be liked, you'll be approved, that people will think your talk is wonderful. No expectations that you know you can chant in tone. No expectations at all. Imagine that. Have this glorious, glorious freedom. People, of course, get afraid. They think, well, hey, we don't sort of put some limits on your behavior. You just become just gross. You just become, and if you don't put any limits on yourself, you become fat and sloppy. All right, Ajahn Brahm. <laughs> but no, it doesn't work that way. What actually happens is that when you start to have this beautiful sense of freedom, all of the reasons why people do bad stuff, why you break precepts, you know, why you're offensive, all of those just disappear when you're not trying to prove anything, when you're not struggling, when you're not striving. This beautiful sense of freedom. When you have freedom, you don't need to do anything. You can be peaceful and calm and kind. The Kindness is a form of freedom. The opening the door of your heart frees the other person. It frees them to just to be. And it frees you as well when you open the door of your heart to yourself. You know, this is just your conditioning. So you free yourself. It's a beautiful air, cool, peaceful. You feel so light. When you accept yourself as you are, if you're tired and fall asleep when you meditate, if you know, if you just start to slouch, or if you just get into jhanas, what the hell? You just allow it to be, it's not you. You don't struggle, you don't strive. You liberate instead, you free yourself, you know, from this, this compulsive source of suffering. Compulsion, that was the word I was using for. Who's actually forcing you? Who's actually making you do these things? Why do you have to struggle? Why do you have to strive? Where's that coming from? And it's just the old conditioning ever since you were young. You know, you had to make your bed. You had to be good at school. You had to dress well. You had to clean behind your ears. Otherwise, potatoes would grow there. I remember that one. Always wear it. 
Always wear a new pair of pants in case you have an accident. <laughs> just, all of that sort of stuff, when you, you believed all of that. And now you come to a monastery and then you have to be perfect in your precepts. You know, you can't sort of eat too much. You know, you don't make any mistakes. You know, you have to get lots of meditation. You have to get jhanas. After 20 years, if you haven't got enlightened yet, you're wasting your time. You're a hopeless case. One year to go, Ajahn Pamali. <laughs> so all that sort of stuff. You can see just that that is the source of suffering. That is not the path. But the path, you can taste freedom. Every time I sit in my heart and I sit there, and I, say, I don't give a damn. Enlightenment, jhanas, and after a while you think, yeah, you know that, kept on saying, what do you mean enlightenment? What gets enlightened? Is it Rupa Kanda, Vedana Kanda, Sanya Kanda, Sankara Kanda, Vinyana, what? It's in line. What gets jhanas? There's no Ajahn Brahm, there's no Ajahn Brahmana, there's no Hasapanya. When there's nothing there, you just sit there, not doing anything, and all that sort of stuff, all your idea, identity of being somebody, just totally vanishes. That's also why I love being on my retreat. Outside of the retreat, sometimes people build you up and you become superstar in Indonesia and Sri Lanka and stuff like that. And people celebrate your 63rd birthday. 63, that's a very special number. <laughs> I haven't got a clue why they do those sorts of stuff. I just go along for the ride, play along. <laughs> but anyway, just sometimes that when you're in your cave, all of that vanishes. It's totally free of that sort of guru stuff. And that's so important. You feel so much happier. Peaceful, free. So I contemplate that freedom. And that's a freedom which is there when I stop searching for it, when I stop trying to get it, when I stop striving for things. That sort of freedom, that peace is always there just need to sort of stop. When it's the default position, when everything else is logged off, you log off from the past, you log off from the future. You see, I've been up my emails this morning. You log off, you delete, and what's left is this beautiful present moment. It's all there ever was, all there ever will be, and it's good enough. You don't need to sort of make it any different. All striving just creates a future. And we're not about creating the future. Other people do that. Politicians, social workers, activists, good on them. But we don't create the future, we create the present in this monastery. Creating a peaceful present, a still present, a free present. That's the other thing that, you know, I was getting rid of some old stuff because, you know, for a bit of um, exercise, instead of just sitting all day and having a cup of tea, just emptying a cupboard. I've been stuffing stuff in there for years and haven't sort of taken away. It's wonderful just to you know, see all this old stuff and just throw it away and burn it. 
I love doing that. I love burning stuff because it just totally vanishes. I got all the stuff, peculiar ordination, all the stuff early. I was telling Ajahn Bamali that uh, one of the, I got this old poster out. I don't know if, I know Peter Smith is here, if you were there when this happened, but somebody, a one Friday night talk, it must be about 20 years ago, I think longer than that, they put this poster up on every car at Nolamara while I was giving my talk. Now, Ajahn Brahma Wangso is not a real monk. He's committed adultery with my wife. <laughs> I've kept that there. I told Ajahn Bamali that if ever when I die, my, my uh, what do they call it when you, the biography, uh, stick that in there. It's really funny. And all that stuff. And sometimes it's so nice that all that stuff and those problems, you know, the pecuniary ordination ordaining has to pain you and the others, all that, you're totally free of it. Totally let it go. And how wonderful to be free of the past. Doesn't matter who did what, who's right, who's wrong. Well, that's not the point. The point is you totally let it go. You get this beautiful freedom because the past is a torturer. It's a prison for you. And the thing is, you can't judge the past. You can't say who was right, who was wrong. You know, not honestly. Because whenever I think about it, I'm always right. The others are always wrong. Is that the same with you? <laughs> so it's always with me. I'm always right. It's other people. They just don't understand. <laughs> and other people, I think, if I could see in their minds, they would say the same. You know, that... So the past is a total waste of time. It can never be resolved. It can only be let go of. So you don't try and resolve and fix up the past. You do something else. You totally delete it, burn it, log off from the past. And when you logged off from it, you have this beautiful freedom. If anybody ever tries to sort of blame you about something you've done, criticize you, or even praise you for something you've done in the past, they're trying to drag you into jail again. They're trying to sentence you. And I refuse to be sentenced. Good, bad, <laughs> who knows? So when you totally let it go like that, beautiful freedom. And of course the other thing is a fear of the future. Why are people fearing the future? This lady came up today at lunchtime asking some questions. And one of the questions was, you know, how do you deal with insecurity? And I can imagine apparently there's all sorts of terrorist things going on in the world. A lot of people feel afraid of the future. Climate change, who knows what's going to happen next? And exactly, we don't know. But the only way to be free of the fear of the future is not trying to fix it up. It's to let it go. And to learn how to just be in this present moment. And all these people are so worried about what might happen. You just totally let it go. And be totally free. I remember reading one book years ago, just remembering it now. There was uh, a white South African who was so afraid that one day the Africans would take over South Africa and you know, he would be sort of um, uh, attacked and killed. So he, he, he built this little tower like a, a fortress and you know, put all sorts of food in there to protect him in case it happened. 
And of course, you know, once I think these South Africans, uh, the uh, Nelson Mandela was released and became president and the ANC had power, he locked himself in the room. But I think apparently one day that he left a window open and a black guy got inside and locked it up and he couldn't even escape from his own prison. He got so killed in there because all the doors were so locked even the owner couldn't escape. That's what happens when we make prisons. He's trying to make the prisons to keep people out. But all it ever does is keep us in, inside the prison. We try to uh, make sure that the future doesn't really affect us, that we're safe in the future. But all we're doing is creating a prison, this prison of fear which stops us enjoying this moment. And it's so nice when you're on retreat, got nothing to do, I don't have to worry about my food or whether I have to go to sleep or giving a talk or doing anything. The future just is totally not there anymore. If, you don't be, if you're not afraid of the future, then the future just vanishes. Fear creates a perception of the future. So once that fear is gone, just nothing left. You're free. And that's just such a beautiful freedom to just be in this moment, not because you force yourself to be in this moment. Too many people when they meditate, they force themselves into this moment. They try and hold this moment. They try and stress out by holding on to this moment and not allowing a thought of the future or the past to come up. And they just stress out again. That's not meditation. You just let go of the past. You let go of the future. You let go of your fears. You let go of this guilt and ownership of your past. You can't own the past. That was a totally different person than the person you, know, you are now. Understanding that, you can totally let it go and be free. And that freedom... You can taste it, the taste of freedom. You can feel it, you can live in it, you can indulge in it. Please indulge in that bliss. Because it is liberation. You don't get this through reading books or through thinking. You live it, you're experiencing it. And even that, it's just a great bliss and happiness. To have an hour or nine days, two weeks, 15 days or nine years free of the past and the future. Oh, just what bliss that is. And once you realize and taste that freedom, you never go back again. Now the Buddha sort of gave you know, the simile. I was thinking of this simile today, I didn't really care to actually to tell it to this lady, that just like this person, who's, this is from the sutras, well-dressed, uh, perfume, these are guys, okay, in the time of the sutras, perfume, well-dressed, and everything, and falls into a pit of shit, of excrement. And somebody comes by and saves him and pulls him out and gives him seven baths and changes his clothes, new perfumes. Would he ever go back into that shithole again? No way! You use that, once you're free of these things, would you ever want to go back there? Because that's what that obsession with the past and future is like. And we're thinking. God, just thinking, it's just a, the thinking is a headache. You know that. It's a pain. Why do you think so much? 
Aren't you old enough now? Every one of you, even if you're just over 18, you should be old enough to realize you don't get anywhere through thinking. You don't solve problems. You don't find the meaning of life through thoughts. The meaning of life is what's there when the thinking stops. It's in the in-between moments. That's where life is. Meaning, love, peace, freedom. So if you want to be free, look at the thoughts as the bars of the prison cell. There are gaps between those thoughts, like there's gaps between the bars. You can actually see freedom outside. You know the thoughts, they can drive you crazy. They can make you feel really bad about yourself. They can make you angry at other people. I can't see how anyone can get angry at anyone in this monastery or in the nuns' monastery. These are really good people. Every one of you. It's the creme. The cream. You know, being a, keeping these precepts and being so kind and hard-working, looking after one another. As I just can't believe it sometimes. that I was there in my hut and people were really caring to put this beautiful food in my bowl every day. And some of the breakfast you served me, I just, you, listen, uh, the nuts, they came in with all of these individually wrapped in foil or greaseproof paper and two or three times bacon and eggs and toast and uh, what else we have? Pancakes and waffles and you had cream or butter, whichever you wanted. You had uh, uh, maple syrup or golden syrup. Uh, what else was there? Get, I mean, this, that's all I can remember, but there's much more on it than that. <laughs> and I was just so kind that people could just pamper you that much. It was beautiful. And that's what I remembered from that. Just a beautiful kindness. Where on earth can you get people like that in this world? who really look after one another. And when I think about that, how can you ever even get just one moment of anger or ill will, disrespect to people like that. And it's so wonderful to be free of anger and ill will. And that freedom is just, you don't find it in the world. People are always angry at each other, just always finding fault with one another, always seeing the two bad bricks and wanting to destroy this wall and cut off that wall and blow it up. And you don't have it here. And that's just a, it's just a bliss to remember that, to be free from hatred and free from being hated. Oh, what bliss. So with that sense of gratitude, you know, the freedom from one of these big defilements, it's one of the big three, greed, hatred and delusion. At least the hatred can overcome it. And the greed, what do you want? I was thinking that, what more do I want in this world? Just than a breakfast of pancakes and waffles. <laughs> That's not what I meant. <laughs> what more can you want in this world? You know, you just get enough nice food, really kind people. Just a nice little cave you can sit in all day. Nothing to do. No one sort of on your back asking you to get something done today. No one was just ringing you up with their problems. No, nothing. Just 
bliss, bliss upon bliss upon bliss. Because I enjoyed the freedom. Maybe it's because outside I've got lots of stuff to do. But I really appreciate that solitude. And you're not trying. I was very careful not to destroy that solitude by having other goals to achieve and other problems to fix. And I can, I've seen that I've been a monk long enough that if you try and fix your own problems, it's just more of the same. You know, you're all little abbots, not of monasteries, but abbots of your own mind, trying to fix it up, sort it out, build it up, make it this way, make it that way. And I say I'm only a part-time abbot. When I'm outside, yeah, I do stuff. When I'm in my cave, when I'm just meditating there, you don't do anything. I'm totally irresponsible. Don't even think of what you're going to do next. And don't even, even the thought of what you did early in this morning or what happened earlier on in your life as a monk or early on in your life as a human being, you don't even think about that. It never comes up. Because you're in your cave. This is free time. And you value that freedom so much. Everything else you log off. And that's all it is. It's as simple as just pressing the button. Okay, no more past, no more future. No more thinking, just being. And you don't try to develop the mind. That's more thinking. You don't try to get nimittas. That's just more stuff. I have to mention this. I told this to Ajahn Bhamari last night. The very last meditation I did before the Pati Moka recitation we did last night. And I, I, I don't know why this happened. You know, but it may be because, yeah, okay, I was just, uh, yeah, just trying to get back into the world again, trying to sort of uh, get my mind ready to meet other people after my 15-day retreat. But, you know, my mind was still pretty peaceful and you know, very happy and just got this nimitta, the most strangest nimitta I've ever had. Because right in front of my mind, very clear, was a very clear image of Garfield. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just a cartoon one, you know, just you know, just you know, with the single colours, you know, just a single colour here, single colour, just like you see in the cartoons, which, you know, in the papers. I must have been reading too many of those papers before I went on retreat. <laughs> and that was it, that was the end of my meditation. You just laughed. <laughs> what the heck have you got a nimitta? <laughs> a nimitta is Samadhi of Garfield, the cartoon cat. <laughs> it's true, it happened. Just... <laughs> About 5.45 yesterday. <laughs> well, yeah, you don't control anything. You just laugh at life and you to feel totally free. So you really enjoy that sense of freedom. And that freedom, you can't make freedom. That's why I like the word. You can't sort of imprison freedom, capture freedom, control freedom. Because those are now the word oxymorons. When you have a, just like I love the word stillness for samadhi, because stillness, whenever you do something, you're disturbing the stillness. So when you have the word stillness for samadhi, you know, it carries with it just the obvious, you can't do something to be still. You have to let it go. And then stillness is what happens when things settle down. Just like freedom. You can't force 
free. And you can't capture it. You can't imprison it. You can't sort of put freedom in a box and take it home with you. Because it's not free then. Freedom is what happens when you take away all the barriers, all the fences, all the demands you put on yourself, all the goals, all the appointments and the schedules, all the thinking, all time. Time is the prison. Thinking are the, the bars on the, on the walls, the metal bars, thick. But you know, you expand those bars, you, you push them aside. You see the spaces between the thoughts until the spaces get so wide between the thoughts. The spaces between the bars in your prison cell become so wide, you just walk through them. Free. Way beyond the thoughts. Way beyond the ideas, the concepts, and all the things which we argue about, which religions argue about, different types of Buddhism argue about. You go totally beyond that. Peace, stillness, freedom. You feel that freedom. Freedom from fear, freedom from time, future, past, guilt, fear. And sometimes you come back in afterwards and even in the suttas. So it's just the way people interpret the suttas about the purpose of Buddhism, meditate to get jhana, to get enlightened, to get something. It's not a way of getting, it's a way of letting go, of being free. So the word freedom to me is something which is beautiful because it cuts a lot of the crap away from the path. It just, a lot of that stuff disappears when you think freedom. What can freedom be? And especially when you're meditating. And okay, I've got to do it. Anapanasati, what's the next step? That's not freedom. You're in prison of the technique, of the stages. That's not freedom at all. I often said, all those stages you read about in the suttas, it's what happens, it's not what you do. It's not what you try and make happen, or you try and get. It's just basically the landmarks of the path. It's just what you see as these things occur, as you let go, you become still. And the beautiful freedoms of the jhanas, they're called liberations of the mind. Just the very word, you know, the wimokas, the freedoms. <sighs> this is a freedom from the body. The body is a prison. Everyone's had a near-death experience or remember their past lives. And when you die, which each one of you will do, oh, it's such a bliss to be free of your body. Or at least, you know, that's what's going to happen to you. Promise. As long as you're not consumed by your thinking and your worries and fears, you don't even notice that freedom when you die. We're so free to be out of this five-sense world. And that's at least the jhanas give you that state of freedom. So what you realize is you're getting an understanding what this freedom means as a personal experience. So you get to know what freedom is. And you just take it further. It's not just a stillness which grows, but freedom develops, gets far more profound. 
out there in the world, people think it's a free world. United States, the land of the free. <laughs> it's a joke. They're not free at all. Free people, you only see who can let go. You can let go of past and future, let go of thinking, let go of the body. Be free and then let go of their mind, their jitter. Otherwise their jitter is their prison. And to be totally free. Nothing left. Just a wide universe. Even that disappears. No barriers, no boundaries, nothing to define anything. Real freedom. So that's not really the goal, but that's what happens when all the goals, the striving, the struggling, all vanishes. And at least get tastes of freedom as much as you can. And don't sort of go sporting this incredibly beautiful, profound, wonderful path of the Buddha by doing something. Zajan Shah always would say, we meditate not to achieve, we meditate to let go and be free. That's it. Thank you.